And uh, one important little bit of uh, business to deal with. So last week after church, we had a board meeting, and Doug brought up, okay, we've got an issue that needs to be dealt with. It's come to me. I've heard it a couple times. And when are we going to have cookies again? (laughs) And so... There are cookies this Sunday and a sign-up sheet for anybody else that wants to sign up to bring goodies. Again, I've also heard the same complaint, so we're dealing with that, okay? Um, And I believe that's it for announcements. We are in Luke chapter 1. I have had a couple people say, you know, um, Jack, if you just were a little bit more organized, you could have landed... Chapter 1 and 2 right around Christmas time instead of after. And just for your information, I've, I've heard that my whole life. <laughs> Jack, if you would just apply yourself a little bit more, just be a little bit more organized, you could do a lot. And my response has always been, hmm. <laughs> so, we are in Luke chapter 1 that we started last week. And, um, and, Slowing things down, while it would be really, really easy to go through this chapter, and uh, it's very familiar because of the Christmas story, um, there's so much good application. And so we are going to slow down. That We'll actually, we won't even finish a chapter this week. Hopefully next week we will. Uh, but when we started last week, if you remember, um, before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Luke goes back further, and, and he begins the story not at John the Baptist, but at his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And, and I love that because, again, I think there's some great application for us there. If you remember, Zacharias was one of the priests, and there were a lot of priests in that time, so they decided who would serve and what their duty would be by the casting of lots. And so it fell to Zacharias. And he was allowed to go to the temple, not only serve, but be the one that brings incense to put on the altar of incense. It was a once in a lifetime, if even then, type of honor. And so while he's there, the angel Gabriel appears to him and and tells him that he's going to have a son. Now, I mentioned this last week, but it's important we keep this in mind, not only for Zacharias, but also for Mary. It has been 400 years of silence in Israel. God has not spoken a word. God has not sent a prophet. There has been no revelation in the nation of Israel for 400 years until now. And so Zacharias sees this angel, and the angel tells him, your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a son. And we talked about how that prayer probably hadn't been prayed in a long, long time. And that there are those prayers that you and I have prayed we've forgotten about. But God has not. That the answer is still in his inbox, waiting for his perfect timing to be fulfilled, right? And we see that so clearly with Zacharias. We also see the humanity of Zacharias, right? That he's just a normal guy like us, and he's like, I don't think this is true, right? That's basically what he says. Uh, Have you met me, right? You see how old I am? My wife is also well advanced in years. And Gabriel's like, God's going to do it anyway. I'm Gabriel. I stand before God. I know stuff. And you're not going to be allowed to speak until your son's born. So there. You know, I mean, it's, it always makes me laugh. And I, again, my weird sense of humor. 
But now in, in the second part of Luke chapter 1, the announcement comes to Mary. And, and as I said, we usually think about this just in the context of Christmas, but there's so much here that we can take away. And as I studied through it this week, the thing that really stood out to me is I believe we see this beautiful process of God revealing his calling, right? And, and I think it, as we study through this, keep in mind how we define calling as well, because I think sometimes we only think it's the big things. That when somebody's called by God, they're leading these huge evangelistic crusades, or they're, they're changing and reforming the world we live in, and well, those people are really called. We all, every single one of us, has a calling upon our life from God. But I believe it needs to be revealed to us, and I think Mary shows us the example of how it's received well. Right? I think Mary's an amazing example to us for a lot of reasons. And not the reasons, like when I grew up, Mary was like a superhero in the Catholic Church, right? Not to bash on the Catholic Church, but Mary was an, an amazing woman of faith, but she was not perfect. Is not somehow the intermediary between us and Christ. She is a great example. And we have a lot that we can take away from the way she deals with things, the way she receives this information. Um, and again... I believe we all have a calling on our life. Mary shows us a great way to receive that calling or understand that calling. But I think we can also understand that sometimes that calling can be revealed to us in an instant, like it is with Mary. Just blindsides her, like, hey, you didn't know you're called to this, but you are. But I think you can also grow over time, right? Where God puts a desire in our hearts and we go, wow, gosh, I wonder if that's from the Lord. And we kind of explore it a little bit. And doors seem to open up. It happens that way, too. But I believe the process or the elements of the process are the same. Whether it's quickly revealed or revealed over time, uh, they're the same. So let's pray, and we will get in to the rest of the chapter. We're going to be starting at verse 26 today. God, thank you that you desire to reveal great things to each and every one of us. You have a calling on our life. You have things in store that we can't even wrap our minds around. But we want to be in line with you. We want to hear from you. We want you to have your way in our lives individually and in today in this Bible study. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would take control and that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So chapter 1 of Luke, starting in verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, for the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what matter of, matter of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Now, again, I try and kind of put myself in the situation, picture it, picture what Mary would have been thinking, doing, and all of those things. And, and so in this description, uh, again, remember in the original writings, Luke didn't write in chapter 1, chapter 2. So he's, it's a flow from chapter 1, or it's, well, I guess we're still in chapter 1, but in the sections, he's been talking about Zacharias and Elizabeth. And so he says, in the sixth month, that doesn't mean the sixth month of the year, it means the sixth month in Elizabeth's pregnancy. And he'll mention that again later on. So Gabriel is sent by God to the town of Nazareth. Uh, of course, Nazareth is now very famous, but in that day, it was nowhere. It's interesting, <laughs> almost shocking, it's not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned anywhere in Jewish history at all. That's how, what a boring town it was. <laughs> there was so little going on there, it's never mentioned. Yet in this extremely average, maybe boring town, there is an uncommon girl. And as we'll see, uh, did not see herself as being extraordinary in any way. We're told that she was a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, who was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Uh, in the Hebrew culture, marriage took place in three stages. Uh, there was, first of all, the engagement, which was usually the parents arranging the marriage. Now, the kids did have a certain amount of say. If they're like, no, absolutely not, then the parents would take that into account. Into account. But the engagement was an arrangement of some sort, uh, usually by the parents. And if that was settled and, it, and everyone was in agreement, it would move on to the betrothal of the marriage. And the betrothal was actually a little ceremony, this little agreement, you know, kind of a little bit more publicly, but not everybody. There was witnesses there. And, and that would last about a year. Could be a little more, could be a little less. And in this stage, legally, they were considered to be married. Now, they still lived in separate homes. They weren't together. Um, but in order to break off the betrothal, you actually had to go through di the divorce process. And then after about a year, they would enter into the marriage. Now, that was the big celebration. Usually the whole town would come out. It would last multiple days, usually. And, and it was a huge deal. So Mary and Joseph are betrothed to one another. We're told that Joseph was of the house of David. And uh, again, we know that's important because the Messiah had to come through the house of David. And some people say, well, okay, so what? Joseph wasn't actually the father, so that doesn't really count other than maybe legally. Um, Matthew chapter 1 gives us a genealogy of Jesus. And Luke chapter 3, when we get to it, will also give a genealogy of Jesus. But when you compare the two, you see at King David, those genealogies split and have a different set of names. And that's because one of them is Joseph's, and one of them is Mary's. Uh, if Mary didn't have any brothers to carry on the family name, it would have been Joseph's responsibility to kind of almost adopt her side of the family in that genealogy, right? So either way, Jesus is going to be of the house of David. In verse 28, the angel, uh, it says that he enters in, right? We don't really picture that. Always they, in movies or whatever, they always show Mary out in some lovely field and the angel appears. Here it says, Luke says he, the angel comes in. So Mary's like in the house doing whatever, and he just comes through the door. <laughs> Again, I don't know why I find that funny. But 
He comes through the door and says, uh, Rejoice, highly favored one of the, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Uh, rejoice is a lot more than, hey, be happy. It's the idea is that he's a messenger coming in going, I have got great news. <laughs> this is news to rejoice over. This is news that is, you never expect to hear. And then he tells her three things about herself. That she is highly favored, that the Lord is with her, and that she is blessed among all women. Um, now, these are great things. I mean, these are the types of things anyone would want to hear the Lord say about them, right? And it's interesting, uh, Mary's response actually gives us some insight into her as a person. Uh, because when she sees him, we're told that she's troubled, but she's not troubled by how he looks. She's not troubled that there's an angel in her house. She's troubled at his greeting. And the idea is the words he's speaking, these, these blessings that he's kind of pronouncing on her, that she's highly favored, the Lord is with her, that she's blessed among all women, that she doesn't understand how they apply to her. Right? It tells us that there's a great humility with Mary. That she's just Mary. Just Mary from Nazareth, right? She doesn't see herself as being something great. And it's the greeting itself that causes her to, to be troubled about it. Um, and again, I think that shows that there's a great humility about who she is. I think often we mistake what humility really looks like. I think we live in a world that tells us that a humble person is somebody that's down on themselves a lot, Right? That you're always like, oh, I'm not that good, and I'm not that great, and I don't have any gifts, and people are like, wow, they're so humble. That's actually not humility, because everything they're talking about is still about them, right? I'm not this, I'm not that. Humility is not thinking highly of yourself, and it's not thinking lowly of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. And we get that idea with Mary, right, that she's just, you know, been faithfully doing whatever she's had in front of her there in, in Nazareth. And doesn't see yourself necessarily being anything highly favored or blessed necessarily above anyone else. Now, um, I also think, well, I believe we see great bravery in Mary. A couple of different ways here. Uh, the first is that, again, there's an angel in her house and she doesn't freak out, right? And even though Gabriel says, don't be afraid, he isn't, the way it's said isn't like, well, don't be afraid of me. It's like, don't be afraid of this greeting. Don't be afraid of the words you've just heard. So if she sees an angel, she's like, okay. You know? <laughs> and, and the standard greeting of an angel is, do not fear. And he doesn't have to do that with her, necessarily. Um, and the second way, I think, overall, is, is how she accepts all of this information. All this stuff is just unloaded on Mary, and... And she just kind of takes it in. We'll talk more about that as we go on. In verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Again, we hear that and we're like, man, that's great. Man, don't we all want to just find favor with God? Keep in mind where Mary was at, still under a conditional covenant. The Old Testament is conditional. You do this, you'll be blessed. You don't do this, you won't be blessed. 
And the picture, for the most part, that the religious leaders had painted was a very angry God that had to be kind of kept at bay by all the sacrifices. So the idea of finding favor with God would have been huge. I think in a much deeper way than even we understand because we've come to see the love of Jesus Christ and understand that we find favor through Him. But for Mary, this would have been, I believe, revelation. This would have been intense to have this angel say, you have found favor with God. And again, keep in mind, plain Mary from Nazareth finds out that God knows her personally. That her life in this little out-of-the-way town that nobody cared about has caught the attention, the focus of the almighty, holy God. He knows her, he knows her heart, and he has a great love for her. And he tells her, verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now again, that's pretty big news, right? That'd be enough again. You could expect a little bit of a freak out from her. And there's none of that. But I also think there's this interesting contrast. So he's beginning to reveal to her, not only is she going to have a son, but that son is going to be the Messiah that's been promised to Israel. And so the, the contrast that I'm talking about is that uh, it's just a small little thing, but I find it interesting, is that here's the Messiah, and you will call his name Jesus, which was one of the most common names, if not the most common name in Israel at that time. It's literally Joshua. Not, not some big extravagant name that reveals that he's the Messiah. You're going to give him the most ordinary name there is. But he is the Messiah, right? And then the angel begins to reveal more. Verse 32, and he will be great, be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That's where the, the bomb is really dropped. This is the Messiah. Not just a good leader. Not just somebody that's going to deliver Israel. This is the Messiah that has been promised. Um, and Gabriel begins to quote really just prophecy after prophecy through the Old Testament. Things all pointing to the Messiah. So there will be absolutely no doubt. These are things that Mary would have known. Scripture she would have known about. Promises that everyone in Israel that was looking for the Messiah would have known. Um, and so again, she's finding out all of these things, that her son is the promised Messiah. And again, I, it's important we understand. I think there's a very different way that the Messiah is viewed now than would have been very, viewed by Mary and those in Israel. Because something's taken place, and I don't think it's really been all that long, probably the last 20 years, with the idea of Messiah... And I've heard this from, from Jewish people in Israel. I've heard it from others that say, oh, well, every generation has a Messiah. Every generation has some deliverer that comes about. King David was a Messiah, and this person was a Messiah, and that person. They're just deliverers. They're just teachers. Wrong. That was never the understanding in Israel. There isn't many. There was one. And Israel was waiting for one. And they understood that that one wasn't just a person. He is God. That's why to call anyone the Messiah, for Jesus to claim to be the Messiah, they were trying to label it as blasphemy, right? Because they understood 
This isn't just talking about a leader. And so it's good for us to remember that that is who Mary understands her son is going to be. Eternal God becoming one of us. And that she is now going to be a part of all of that. Verse 34 goes on. It says, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing is impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your words. And the angel departed from her. Now, as we can imagine, I think Mary probably had lots of questions, right? <laughs> I think any of us in a situation like that, our brain would just be spinning out of control with thousands of things we, we, we wanted to find out. Before the angel leaves, let's, I just want to get this clear. How's this going to happen? Could I get a roadmap maybe? Is there a schedule or a timing for these? You know, something. But not with Mary. Mary asked one question. How can this be? And, and it's funny to me because it's the same question that Zacharias asked, right? But there's a huge difference in tone. <laughs> we, we don't know how Zacharias said it, but get the idea that it was more like, I don't think that's possible. I, I just don't think that's going to happen, right? How can this be? I'm old. She's old. You know, sorry, you've got the wrong person. And so that's why he gets the response of, and you don't get to talk anymore, right? <laughs> Mary asked the question, and it's just to clarify. It's just to understand. There isn't any argument from her. She just doesn't, I just don't get this. How can this be? And so she gets an answer, right? And, and the Lord just, through the angel, or allows the angel to tell her that how these things are, are going to be uh, done. Now, this is the, the first part that I think shows the process of our calling. Again, all this information, Mary's calling has just been revealed to her. Whatever she thought her life was going to be like, wrong. What other plans she had made, you know, other than she was going to marry Joseph, her life isn't going to look like that at all. It has completely taken a new direction. Her calling has been made clear. But I think this is when God starts to work in us. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the calling of our life. Like, I know I'm absolutely called to this. Maybe it's just a big change in our lives. Maybe it's something God is, is putting a desire in our hearts, and we're going, I think I need to start investigating if this is the direction the Lord has for me. When that starts to happen, however it happens, whether quickly or whether all at once, all at once or, or in a process, I think Mary's the example of, of just at first just take it in. She doesn't fire a whole bunch of questions. She doesn't overthink all of this. She doesn't overcomplicate it. She just is like, okay, I just want to understand. <laughs> How can this be? And then she just takes it in. For us, our job is to listen. 
and to follow, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So when he starts to reveal something to us or show us a calling in our lives, instead of going, okay, now I've got to make this happen and I've got to make these arrangements and make some phone calls and do some research and all this stuff, just take it in. Just, just let it simmer for a while. And then let him do the work. Our job is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And, and it's his work. And again, that's, that's the answer that Gabriel gives to Mary. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not dependent on you. God is going to do his work, and, and the Holy Spirit has it figured out. He tells her that this child will be called the Son of God. And again, that was not a term that was ever used anywhere else. This was God himself arriving on earth in human form. And I, as I was studying this, I just started thinking, when did it really hit Mary? Because in the meeting, right, with Gabriel, she seems pretty chill. She's just like, okay, yeah, all right, <laughs> you know, I'll take it all in. I think there had to be at some point where she just went, what? You know, and realized all of the enormity of this. At what point did she remember the prophecy of Isaiah 7? It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What point did Mary go, that's about me? Little Mary from Nazareth. Isaiah 7 is about me. <sighs> Overwhelming. She would bring forth the Messiah, God himself, into the world. Now, again, I think Mary's taking all this really well. No freaking out, no arguing with the angel. Um, only ask one question. But even with all of that, as well as she's taking it, Gabriel gives her evidence and encouragement. And again, I think this, this fits right in to know if God's calling us to do something different, something more, something bigger, right? Because God does not call people into ministry to be lone rangers. I've, had, I've known lots of people that think they are, and they're wrong. That he calls us into ministry, he calls us into doing his work, and the calling we have on our lives is meant to be connected to others. Doesn't mean it's connected to everybody, but it does mean that there are those that we are called to walk that road with, right? And so here's this calling on, on Mary... Again, very clear. She's not sitting there going, I wonder if this is from the Lord. I wonder if I should pray about this, right? This is happening, no doubt. And so the encouragement he gives her is now indeed, this is verse 36 and 37, now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for, who, for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Again, why is that important? Because Mary has just received this calling that could feel very lonely. No one's going to believe her. And so Gabriel tells her that there is someone else walking this road with you. Somebody that knows you. Somebody that understands the things you're going through. Somebody that's excited about what God is doing. And is proof that God does the impossible. 
For her who is called barren, she's now six months pregnant. Love it. And so, again, as well as she takes all of this, Mary understood what it meant for her. Mary understood how heavy this was going to be because no one in her community would believe that she was pregnant from God. No one would believe that she saw an angel. She would definitely lose her community. She could probably lose a lot of her family, if not all of them. And there would be those that wanted to take her life, believing that she committed adultery. While this was the greatest honor ever given, it's important for us to understand it cost her a great deal. Yet, with all of that, and, and again, she understood these things. It isn't like she thought about it later. It isn't like somebody went, oh, Mary, this is going to get you in trouble. She knew it. When the angel was saying these things were going to happen, she understood. With all that, verse 38 says, And then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. She says, I'm God's servant. He can do whatever he wants. Let him fulfill the word that you've spoken. That's the bravery I was talking about. Right? Again, not arguing, not hesitating, not asking how, how is this going to work and how are these people not going to stone me to death in the street and what are my parents going to think? None of that. Again, it's also good for us to remember she was probably about 16. Could have been as young as 14, probably more like 16, but very young. And this bravery that we see in her is amazing. Verse 39 it says, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into the, a city of Judea, excuse me, city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeting Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the baby, the babe leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which are told to her from the Lord. Again, Mary has this calling revealed, and there isn't any arguing. It's very clear. She knows what it is, and God gives her somebody to walk this road with. I love that, and I think it's super important that uh, as she goes out, Elizabeth gets it. Elizabeth understands these things, and, and one of the things that I, I think is awesome, I think Often we can think of that Elizabeth had these things revealed to her earlier, and, and now that Mary's here, she's like speaking these words, because Elizabeth knows Mary's carrying the Messiah. And we don't know that she was visited by an angel or any of that stuff before that. I believe it was revealed to her right here, that she hears Mary's voice, and it says, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was that moment where she got it, right? And she speaks this prophecy over Mary right? Powerful. What a huge comfort that must have been to Mary. To arrive and, and 
there had to be. I mean, again, we don't know, but, but I would think any normal person would be going, am I crazy? Did I hear from an angel? Am I freaking out? What's going on? And so to have this fellowship and confirmation in Elizabeth before, before Mary can say, oh, guess what? I had a visit from an angel, and I think I'm carrying the Messiah. She didn't even get to say any of that. The Holy Spirit revealed it to, to her relative right away, and Elizabeth speaks these words of prophecy over her. John leaps for joy, you know. Um, couldn't have been that pleasant for Elizabeth, I don't think, but she understood that it was something from the Lord, right? Now, for us, again, as we feel God's calling in our lives, so often we think that has to be something huge. We think it has to be leading an evangelistic outreach. It has to be doing some major thing in our community or, or righting wrong. Or, but Mary's not called to any of that. Mary's not called to, to end slavery in the ancient world or women's rights in the ancient world or any of those things that we think, like, that's a calling from God. Mary's calling is to be a mom. And it's a calling from the Lord, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The callings on our lives may not look the way we expect them to, but we are still called. And we have to find those people, like Elizabeth, that understand that calling. I think I've made a mistake many times, I know I've made a mistake many times in my life, where I feel God calling me to do something, and I start telling everybody and everybody doesn't care. <laughs> and so you get very discouraged going, well, I thought that everyone would be super excited about that. Mary doesn't tell everybody. She finds one that's walking that same road. And I think that's what we need to do as well. I think everybody in our life probably wants good things. They care about us, but they won't understand that calling unless they have that same calling. Or something similar. Or something connected. That we are to be those that first of all just take it in. Lord, what do you want for me? What do you want to do? How do you want to use me? And that as that becomes clear, we find other people that are on that same road. Hey, let's walk this together. Let's encourage one another. Let's bless one another. And, and see what God uses us to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you so much that you love us. 